I absolutely love this time of year. And I think it's primarily because of the trees. Pear trees. Whether they're aristocrat pears or the lovely Bradford pear. Cherry trees. Kwanzaa cherries. Yoshina cherries. Japanese maples. Even forsythia bushes. I love those. Little gem magnolias. Tulip magnolias. Uh, red buds, especially red buds. I absolutely love this time of year. Now you may have heard this old saying, oh, you know him, he can't see the forest for the trees. But so many times it's the other way around. It's, we can't see the trees for the forest. I was reminded of this just the other day. I was having a conversation with Trevin and uh, my oldest son, Trevin, and he said, on his commute back and forth to Nashville, he said, I have begun to notice individual specific trees. And he said, I've, I've never really seen them before, but now they, they stand out to me. And he said, I want to know what those trees are. And of course, you know, knowing Trevin, he went out and bought a book of the 660 trees that are native to North America. But I can so relate to Trevin because I love trees too. As a matter of fact, I was driving with one of my many grandsons uh, just, uh, I think it was this week, maybe it was two weeks ago. And I was pointing out to him, okay, now that's a forsythia. In spring, you'll see that because it's so bright and yellow. Now I said, now remember where it was because in about two weeks, it's gonna go green and it'll just look like a sprawling mess, but remember the brilliance of the forsythia. And then we would drive down the road and I'd see another forsythia and I'd say, what is that? And, and he couldn't remember. So I say it's a forsythia because repetition is the key to learning. And I think so many times when we look at the Bible, it just looks like a big forest to us. It's like, uh, it's, just a, it's just a bunch of stuff over there. And, and I think maybe specifically the, the individual books of the Bible may be like that as well. We, especially the Old Testament. And maybe to you, Isaiah is just, it's just another tree in the forest. But part of what we're trying to do is we bring the Word of God to you through this series of messages from Isaiah is help you to see the individual beauty of this tree, this incredible gift that God has given to us, the book of Isaiah. As a matter of fact, if you look at the bottom half of Isaiah, Isaiah chapters 1 through 39, it may not be that pleasant of a tree. It's kind of gnarled and dark and there's a lot of bad news in Isaiah chapters 1 through 39, but, but now we're into that part of the tree that looks different. It looks, there's new growth on this tree. It looks completely different than the rest of the tree. It comes from the same, but now it's new, it's vibrant. And as Brother James helped us turn the corner last week and get to the new part of that tree in Isaiah 40, that great chapter that signifies that God's judgment has been fulfilled. And now God's people can be comforted. 
And that's how Isaiah 40 starts. Comfort ye. Comfort ye my people. Say to Jerusalem that your warfare has been accomplished. And Isaiah 49 continues in that vein. Isaiah 49, if you'll turn in your uh, Isaiah journals to page 94, we'll be reading just the first seven verses of, of Isaiah 49. But Isaiah 49 is it's like a branch on that tree. And it's so beautiful because God is doing a new work. He's been working through His people, Israel. And Israel, quite frankly, has failed the test. Israel was given a job to do to bring salvation to the world. And Israel has failed the test and God says, okay, I'm going to do something new now. This is the new growth on that tree. And we will be reading now Isaiah chapter 49, verses 1 through 7. But first, let's ask the Lord to bless the reading of His Word. Lord, please bless the reading of Your Word, the preaching of Your Word. Make it real. Help it to change hearts and lives forever. In Your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Hear the Word of the Lord. Isaiah chapter 49, verses 1 through 7. Coasts and islands, listen to me. Distant people, pay attention. The Lord called me before I was born. He named me while I was in my mother's womb. He made my words like a sharp sword. He hid me in the shadow of His hand. He made me like a sharpened arrow. He hid me in His quiver. He said to me, You are my servant Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I myself said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in futility, yet my vindication is with the Lord, and my reward is with my God. And now, says the Lord, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him so that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the sight of the Lord, and my God is my strength. He says, it's not enough for you to be my servant raising up the tribes of Jacob and restoring the protected ones of Israel. I will also make you a light for the nations to be my salvation to the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, His Holy One says to one who is despised, to one abhorred by people, to a servant of rulers. Kings will see. Princes will stand up. And they will all bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, and He has chosen you. So here we are in Isaiah. We've passed through the desert of Isaiah chapters 1 through 39, which are like a blazing hot summer, a dry and rainless fall, leading into a frozen, deadly winter. Judgment is coming. But we're past that now. Spring is here. And how is God going to make all things new? Israel has failed so miserably in their mission to bring the world to God. How is God going to do it? He chooses to do this through remarkable new birth. A rebirth this spring. And it will be accomplished through His Son. For Isaiah 49 introduces us to how God is going to do it. 
He wanted to do it through Israel, but Israel failed. He wanted to bring all the peoples of the world to Himself, but Israel failed in their mission. And now He's going to do it through His Son, the servant. Look at verse 1. Coasts and islands, listen to me. Distant peoples, pay attention. The Lord called me before I was born. He named me while I was in my mother's womb. Who's talking here? Christians understand that even though this prophecy was written 700 years before Jesus Christ was born, Christians understand that this is Jesus talking here. And what does Jesus have to say? Coasts and distant people. By the way, that's us. Jesus is talking to us today. We're the distant people. We're not in Israel now. We don't live in Israel. We weren't born in Israel. We don't hang out in Israel. We're not in the promised land. We're the distant people. And Jesus is talking to you. He says, coast and distance, distant people, listen to me. Pay attention because this message is life-changing. This message will put you on a road to relationship with God. Notice to whom the servant is speaking. Not just Israel. He's talking to us. The Bible is speaking to you. Jesus is speaking to you. And He says, listen, pay attention. Now how do we know this is Jesus? Well, Jesus was called before He was born. He was named while He was yet in His mother's womb. The angel came to Mary and to Joseph and said, the child which you call, which was conceived by the Holy Spirit, the child will be called Jesus for He will save His people from their sins. And notice that the servant of the Lord, Jesus, was named before He was born, but He was also commissioned before He was born. He knew His mission before He ever saw the light of day. So in verse 1, we see that the servant was named and called. Jesus was named and called. And His mission was to bring all people to Himself. Look in verses 2 and 3 that the servant was hidden. Verse 2, this is the servant talking. This is Jesus talking. He says, He made my words like a sharp sword. He hid me in the shadow of His hand. He made me like a sharpened arrow. He hid me in His quiver. He said to me, You are my servant Israel in whom I will be glorified. See that the servant is speaking with a sharp sword. Perhaps you've heard people when they talk about Jesus say, Jesus was so mild and so meek. He would never say anything harsh. He would never say anything judgmental. To those people I would say, you are sadly misinformed. Perhaps these people are confused as to the true nature of love. Or perhaps they're just ignorant of Jesus' ministry because Jesus called the religious leaders of His day Blind leaders of the blind. He called the scribes and the Pharisees. He called them whitewashed tombs, open sepulchers, hypocrites, snakes. The list goes on and on. Jesus called his own disciple, Peter, Satan. He said, Satan, get behind me. For you do not desire the things of God, but the things of man. Jesus used very sharp words, like a sword. 
This passage also says that Jesus was like a sharpened arrow. I'm not an archer. I know that there are some archers in our congregation. But I am told that archers will often craft and then hide a special arrow for a special purpose. Hide that arrow in the quiver. They don't want to pick it up by accident. But they'll hide it in their quiver in a special place for a special purpose. And that's what Jesus says. He says, I'm like a special arrow hidden in the quiver. Why are we talking about war? Weapons of war. Why are we talking about swords? Why are we talking about arrows? Because Jesus, mild, meek-mannered Jesus, is a divider. Jesus said, I came and I will divide father from son, son from father, mother from daughter. He divides the sheep from the goats. Jesus was and is a weapon in the hand of God to accomplish His will. Jesus divides the lost from the saved. See the servant hid in the hollow of His hand. See the servant hid in the quiver. Why was the servant hid? This makes no sense to us. Jesus, if you are who you say you are, tell us plainly that this is God's way. This is not our way. He's the one calling the shots, not us. He doesn't do it our way. The Scriptures remind us that His ways are above our ways. Even when His ways seem to us to be below our ways, we are reminded that God keeps His own counsel. And so the servant was to be hid. He was hid so well that when wicked, powerful King Herod went looking for Him as a baby... Jesus was just a baby. He couldn't find him. Because God had warned Joseph and Mary to take Jesus to Egypt. And that fulfilled a prophecy because Hosea says, Out of Egypt I have called my son. And throughout his entire ministry, Jesus was hid from so many in Israel. They did not recognize him. God chose to come in the form of a normal man. So normal that he was hid from his countrymen. Later on in Israel, speaking of the suffering servant, in Isaiah 52, Isaiah says, speaking of the servant, he said, he had no beauty that we would desire him. In other words, God hid Jesus in a crowd of men and he wasn't even necessarily that good looking of a man. Why? Why would God do this? The servant would be hid. And the servant is still hid from many today. Many still do not know who he is. But one day everyone will know who he is. One day he will be revealed in the great revelation. Has Jesus been hid from you? Now let's look at verse 4. Very interesting. The servant was sad. This is the servant speaking. He's speaking to his father and he says... But I myself said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in futility. Listen, this is God the Father talking to God the Son. In this particular situation, the servant was said, this is God the Son talking to God the Father. And he says, I've labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing in futility. And if you were at the foot of the cross, 
Jesus could have said these words because at that point in time, who was there? Where were the thousands that He had fed? Where were the disciples that He had led? Oh, John's there. His mother's there. A few other women are there. He could look at the foot of the cross and say, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in futility. Did you know that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have conversation? Sweet communion. They talk with each other. In Genesis chapter 1, God said, let us make man in our image. God the Father talking to God the Son and God the Spirit. Psalm 110. I love this. Psalm 110. This is the declaration of the Lord to my Lord. In other words, this is the Father talking to His Son. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. I love that passage. The Father is telling the Son, time's coming. Be patient, Son. The time's coming when I'm going to make that entire world your footstool. But the timing wasn't right, and so the Son had to wait. Or how about this conversation between God the Son and God the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus poured out His heart to to the Father in anticipation of the terrible things that would happen to Him the next day. He knew the cross was coming and He said, Father, if there is any way that this cup can pass from my lips, nevertheless, not my will, but thine. That's Jesus talking to the Father. Jesus also talked to the Father from the cross when all seemed hopeless, when all seemed vain, nothing, futility. His strength spent, His life ebbing from His body. He said, My God, My God, why hast Thou forsaken Me? But the last part of verse 4 shows us Jesus' great faith in the Father. He says, Yet My vindication is with the Lord, and My reward is with My God. Let's move on to verse 5. The servant was sent to Israel initially. And now says the Lord, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him so that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the sight of the Lord and my God is my strength. Jesus' initial mission was to bring Israel back to God. That's why his ministry was almost entirely to the Jewish people. His initial mission was was to bring Israel back to God. But that wasn't enough for God. In Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6, the following verse, he says, It is not enough for you to be my servant, raising up the tribes of Jacob and restoring the protected ones of Israel. And this is where we come into the picture. God says to Christ the Son, I will also make you a light for the nations to be my salvation to the ends of the earth. Jesus' glory was not just in being the Messiah of the Jewish people. That wasn't enough. Glory is a heavy thing. It's massive. And God the Father said to Jesus, that's not enough. I'm going to give you the entire world. John 3.16 For God so loved the world. Remember now, this is one Jew talking to another. This is Jesus talking to Nicodemus. And he doesn't talk about his mission being just To the Jewish people here, he says that God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son. 
to the entire world. The servant was sent not just to Israel, but to the entire world because God loves all of us and He wants all of us to be redeemed. Verse 7 shows us that the servant is Lord. This is what the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel's Holy One says to one who is despised. Jesus is despised to this day. Jesus and God off the lips of humans, their names are misused more than any other names in our language. Jesus despised. To one abhorred by people. Jesus was so abhorred by his own people that they nailed him to a cross. To a servant of rulers. Kings will see. Princes will stand up. And they will all bow down because of the Lord who is faithful. The Holy One of Israel. And he has chosen you. The confession of faith today. From Philippians chapter 2. That beautiful passage that tells us how we are to interact with each other. And culminates with saying let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Who though being in the form of man, of God, did not think it robbery to be made equal with God, but took upon himself the form of a man and humbled himself to death. And not just any death. Death on a cross. So there for a while, Jesus was called. He was commissioned. He was hidden. And now he's going to be revealed because Paul says, But at the name of Jesus, every tongue shall confess that He is Lord. Isaiah says, kings will see, princes will stand up and then bow down. Let me tell you, if the kings and the princes are bowing down before Jesus, where do you think we're going to be? We're going to be bowing down too. Because His is the name above all names. If kings and princes will bow down before him. What about you? Yes. We will bow down before Jesus in recognition of who he is, what he's done, and how God sent him to bring us back to him. So my question to you today is, what are you going to do with Jesus? If you already know him as Savior, will you start serving him? Because he is the Lord. If you don't know Him, will you trust Him? Will you place all your faith in Him and ask Him to save you because He will surely do that?